0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen of the pod, to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast. Today we're going to talk about those scandalous Bridgetons and the scheming Featheringtons and the handsome Duke of Hastings. I'm your host, Lady Whistlerow. And I'm Lady Lilith. And I am Lady Savannah. And today we're going to... uh, See, I went to Cockney, didn't I?
1: Yeah, I was going to like Australian, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and today we'll be talking about Bridget. <laughs>
0: oh, it's in family.
2: <laughs> was that good? That was A1. That was brilliant. I loved okay. it. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, Lilith, you do it. Go for it. Okay, three, two, one. Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast. I am your host, Lady Lilith. And I'm here with my guests, Lady Whistlerow. And Lady Savannah. And today we will be talking about... Oh, fuck, I can't do the accent. <laughs> <Should I> just... <laughs> and today we'll be talking about Bridget. <laughs> Anyways. No more accents. Okay. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Bridgerton. Woo. Okay. Woo-hoo. So
0: the hot and scandalous new show on Netflix. And we're going to see how did, how did everybody feel about it? Cause my, I'm going to give you my initial reaction. And then you guys tell me what you think. Initial reaction. I actually really love the show. It's pure. It's pure Shonda Rhimes, right? It's got the complicated female characters no heroes, no real villains, complex storytelling. And I know she adapted and already, uh, I know they changed some things for the show itself and she adapted a text from a book, but I, th- I think it really had a very Shonda Rhimes feel to it.
1: Yeah. Should I give my initial reaction to the, to Bridget? To- yeah, okay, reaction. Okay, so yep. yes, it was very Shonda Rhimes. However, I hated the characters so much. Like the whole time <laughs> the whole time it's and this is not like Shonda Rhimes, this is like the whoever wrote the book. Mm-hmm. That's their fault. Uh and I absolutely hated Simon. I hated Daphne. i I didn't like simon either yeah the whole time i was watching i'm like screaming because like daphne is like like why would you go for the fuck boy when there's like prince frederick right there he seems like such a like you two have like the same goals you both want to have a family why are you gonna go for the guy that's like doesn't want to have kids if you want kids like just doesn't make any fucking sense
0: yeah there's there's some problematic themes in the show which i think we should we should dissect a little bit for sure what about you savannah
2: so, initial impressions was that it was really well made. I thought it was very true to the era, um, but I didn't really like. I guess this was a symptom of old, um, you know, older society. But just the whole idea that women have to be picked. Oh, for sure. Which nah, is sis, for me. The
0: whole the whole system is a pick me system and. It's going to be complicated because we're going to try to talk about this show while ignoring that it's basically female sexual slavery, <laughs> where they're just auctioning off these girls to whatever old man wants them. You know, it's kind of gross when you think about really what's happening in the nitty gritty of that. But I think there's some, I think there's enough themes in the show to make it a salvageable show worth viewing and discussing.
1: Yeah, I think there's good... Interesting themes to dissect, although I will say that, like, I'm kind of a, like, historical costume nerd sort of person. Like, I'm really interested in, like, historical fashion history, and it just drove me crazy. They're using, like, machine embroidery, and the, like, there's so many, like, of the costumes that, to me, were just, like... Like, it looks too perfect. It's, well... Because back then, they didn't have machine embroidery. You'd be making, like, embroidery by hand. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have the whole dress be embroidered. You'd have it, like, in certain, you know, strategic areas, right? Mm-hmm. So that just, like, re- that was just something that just drove me crazy the whole time I was watching it. But other than yeah, that, yeah, I'd say it was... Oh, and the hair and makeup and stuff, yeah, that that was also more modern. The makeup and then the fact that they were using modern music. I think they had a bunch of Ariana Grande songs that they then... Put to music, put to classical music. They, they had Thank You, Next playing in the background, which I thought was very appropriate for that scene. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it overall, but there are some elements to
0: it that I think uh, we should we should talk about. Um, I think I'll start on, let's discuss who your favorite character was. Either your your favorite character, meaning I love the energy of this character, or your favorite character to hate, like where you're just looking at them like, uh, every time you come come on the screen you just remind me of something negative, right? So uh, to kick that off, I I think that my favorite character is Lady Featherington. And she's somewhat controversial because they definitely set her up to be the villain early on. So in the first couple of episodes, you see her and she's kind of a gossip and a busybody. And she's uh, very short with people. And um, she seems really, I mean, she's, just like all of them, but she's very, very obsessed with trying to get her daughters married off well. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that she does, or one of the things that makes her an unlikable character is when she's charged with taking in her niece or her husband's niece, Marina, she's very kind of dismissive and a little bit cruel to her because she doesn't like that Marina's drawing more attention from suitors than her daughters are. So she's kind of like acting like, oh, this girl's in our way and she's a burden. And that kind of makes her seem like very jealous and petty. Where I think she ends up kind of redeeming herself later on is when it's revealed that Marina's pregnant. Spoiler alert for everybody. This is a spoiler spoiler full episode. So if you haven't actually watched the show, then watch it, then come back and listen to this. But she finds out Marina's pregnant. And then you kind of see her make a lot of, Tough choices to kind of get Marina to understand that she's got to make tough choices, right? So, the backstory in that is Marina comes to their family. Marina's pregnant. Marina got pregnant by, uh, I think, a boy that lived near her farm and went off to war. So, the whole show, she's writing this guy letters. You know, she doesn't hear back from him and finds out she's pregnant. And Lady Featherington finds out she's pregnant because she never has her period in the entire time that she's there. So Lady Featherington, to me, like, as unlikable as she was for the first couple episodes, like, towards the middle, you're like, this woman's actually very smart and kind of a boss because she basically is the one that comes back to Marina and is like, sis. He's not texting you back, okay? He's not coming back. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I'm linking, like, if I was, if she came to us and I was in that position to help her and I was like, we would give her that FDS hard lesson too, like, do you know how many boys out here say they love you just to get in your pants this? Like, he ain't coming back. He hasn't written you back. And it's been months. You're holding on to a pipe dream and you're not paying attention to all the suitors in front of you who could potentially give you a much better situation than this guy anyways. Cause I think he was, wasn't very rich as well. If, if he's a soldier, he was like
1: a soldier. He was poor. Right. So she's saying like, you have an opportunity to marry up who could give mm. you a much better life. Right. Yeah. Right. In front of you for that matter, versus this guy
0: who she's holding on to who didn't know what's going on with him. So I, I'm going to tell you where I, where I felt like, yes, queen, when she took her to that alleyway where you saw all the very, very poor people. And she's like, girl, if you don't get your shit together and get some of this rich dick while it's free and available to you, you might end up destitute with you and your Mm -hmm. child. Right. And I was kind of like, you know what, this is like a hard lesson
1: to learn, but it's also, it's real, you know? And even in that scene, Lady Featherington was portrayed as like, oh, you're like classist because, you know, you're making you're saying, oh, look at these like you know, poor people, you could end up like them. Marina says something like, oh, I'm, all I'm seeing are like good, hardworking people. And Marina almost is portrayed as like the good person in that scene. And Featherington is portrayed as like the bad guy or the villain. I don't see it that way. I think she's a realist. Like, you know, it's not you, they're literally living in a society that is classist. Like you have to be, (laughs) you have to be realistic about the world that you're living in. Right. Yeah. She doesn't. And she doesn't, they don't say
0: anything about her having any type of education or anything that may or even a skill that makes us feel like uh, she could support herself on her own. So it kind of comes across as like it just comes across like we're, we're watching this low moving train wreck where she rejects all the suitors. And then I guess she was hidden away for a while, but then it's like she doesn't advocate on her, on her own behalf because she's spending so much time pining away from this guy who she cannot even get a letter back from. And we're just yeah. like, oh, my God. But there was definitely a pivot after they had that conversation. And you could see, oh, actually, the pivot actually happened when Lady Featherington, which was a little bit cruel, but she, she forges a letter from Marina's boyfriend, George, saying that basically, I'm not going to see you anymore. And she justifies it by saying, you know what, this is for her own good. She's got to learn about men sooner or later. And it's better she learns sooner while she's not showing so we can get her married off. And, you know, she can cry about this later, right? <laughs> like, she's basically like, you can mourn the loss of this love later. Like right now, we got to get
1: you somewhere where you can be set up yeah. and be taken and, care of. And in those days, it was very much like you get married or you're a prostitute or you starve to death. Like, there's women didn't, ha- there wasn't, right. Y- even if she did have an education or skills, it would be irrelevant because, you know, unless you were straight up, like, working class and were going to be, like, a, I don't know, a washerwoman or something like that, or a servant, which, you know, that's it's a whole other discussion. But for a lot of women, yeah, like... But she was a single mother. Like, it's def- it's different from being working class and at least married to being... A full-on single mother. Like, she was in a very dire situation. And I'm sure these sorts of situations happened all the time, you know, before safe and legal abortion was the thing that women had access to. Um, So, I see Lady Featherington as, like, a a realist in, in that sort of situation. And also, even her wanting to marry off her own daughters, like good. You know, she, right. wants to, she wants to marry her daughter. She wants her daughters to marry well. She knows that this is a dire situation for them. Right. And women are very often portrayed as like bad or vain or sinful or somehow for wanting to advance their own interests, advocate on their own behalf to advocate yeah. for their daughters. Right. But that's something you have to do like as a mother. Um, so I don't see her as a villain at all for that. I think she just doing her job. Well,
0: and then contrast her, contrast her between daphne's mother lady bridgerton who just kind of like she lets anthony run the show and i guess because he's the elder of all of them he kind of fucking
1: gets, hate anthony
0: I, i'll get to that in a sec but i hate anthony <laughs> But yeah we'll, we'll get to we'll get to anthony so right so she lets anthony run the show and she doesn't tell daphne anything about marriage or how to handle men and so part of the drama towards the end of the season is because Daphne's learning in quick succession all these things that perhaps her mother should have clued her in on as far as marriage and sex versus I think Lady Featherington would have never let her daughters go in a situation like that ignorant, right? So I'm like, when you look at the contrast between, okay, yes, Daphne's beautiful and pretty and innocent and has like, you know, a pleasant high posh demeanor, but she's also completely unequipped for the job. Like (laughs) she makes a ton of missteps because no one really gives her a clue on her family about what kinds of things are expected of her and, and, you know, unpleasant things at times, or uh, that's going to be expected of her as a wife and a mother.
1: And I thought that Lady Bridgerton just totally, yeah, did not prepare her daughters at all for the reality of marriage. She was just going on about like, oh, like Bridgerton's married for love. And like, you know, you'll find a man that you love and blah, 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 blah. And I feel like she just wasn't being realistic with Daphne. She wasn't being honest. Yeah. She wasn't being honest with her about the reality of what it's like to be a woman in this world. And
0: and so so that kind of brings us to the more controversial portion of what Lady Featherington ultimately decided with Marina, which was that they were going to scheme to seduce Colin Bridgerton uh, and try to get him to have sex with her so that they could plausibly pass the baby off as Collins, right? Which was like, ooh, scan right? scándalo, right? Which causes uh, Penelope, a.k.a. Lady Whistledown, to freak out and then reveal, betray her friend, and reveal the fact that marina is pregnant in her
1: i thought penelope was kind of a dick for that like
0: yeah yeah i mean I, that, I that's again that's shonda like she always she always undermines characters so they're never totally good which i think is i think is great overall because it shows you it shows you how you can have all the missteps that they make in places where people could advocate for themselves even while they're being wronged or victimized, and I think it kind of gives you a lot of complex lessons to think about. So I, I enjoy her writing from that perspective. But did you guys, did you guys, what did you guys think of that plot?
1: Uh, I mean, my, the whole time watching Bridgerton, I felt uneasy because of, yeah, like, the reproductive coercion stuff, like, um, like, Simon and Daphne, for example, she just, like, Rides his dick and doesn't let him pull out because she like just forces him to like impregnate her. Right? I'm
0: like he he that that was gonna happen. Like okay, so he she shouldn't have forced him, but I'm, there was no way he was pulling out for twenty years. Yeah, right. Was yeah. he gonna pull out for the entire twenty years of like that she's fertile? Yeah, there was no way. Right. <laughs>
1: And also pull-out method is like the worst, like um, contraception. Like she would have gotten like, there's pre-cum. Okay. She would have gotten pregnant eventually. Um, but yeah. So the, then the whole like baby trapping theme, like, mm. I don't know. I don't ha- know how I feel about those kinds of plot lines. Cause I just make it's just playing into that trope of like, <sighs> like, how do I say this? Like women are doing this out of necessity because of the world that they live in. And they're being portrayed as evil for trying to make the best of an already shit situation. Right. I mean it's it's they're they're trying to
0: create an advantageous situation in an oppressive system, right? I feel like if you look at it from the perspective that they're existing in an oppressive system. So you know, when you look at Lady Featherington and her ruthless practicality, it's kind of hard to be mad at her because I'm kind of like, Well, yeah, because men set the system up for women to fail. So it's hard for me to feel bad for them. Because you're looking at this from the perspective it's either this or she get married off to some Mm. old, disgusting old man. There was some guy that, there was some other suitor that was looking at her and he was clearly old. Like in his 50s, 60s, 70s, he was disgusting, right? And so the options for her was marry this disgusting old man and basically be raped. Like, you know, by some guy she clearly is not attracted to. Um, Or try to
1: baby trap Colin. And I'm like, well, that's clearly the better option, right? <laughs> <Baby trap Colin. laughs> and that's exactly it. Like, people will be like, oh, you should have just done the right thing and married some old geezer. But what is the right thing? Like, it, the right thing in this situation is the one that has the least harmful effect on men and, like, the most harmful effect on women, right? Um, right? I don't really blame women. You're talking about 40 years of that, right? 40
0: years of I mean, not even having sex, like being sexually assaulted by a disgusting old man. Like that, that to me Mm. is the reality of that. That's kind of the reality. They always gloss over whenever they do these period pieces and they marry a woman off to these gross old men. It's not just that it's gross. It's that it's literally repulsive and you're going to have to either be assaulted or and cry yourself to sleep every night. Right.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm watching a different show, uh, Z, The Beginning of Everything, which is about Scott Fitzgerald and his wife Zelda, who we should totally talk about in a different episode, because this is a great show. Um, but there's this one scene where Zelda, who's already had sex, by the way, but her older sister's telling her, there's something about marriage I need you to know. Um, whenever you have, whenever your husband wants you to do your wifely duties, just, like, lie back and imagine the garden, and it'll be over with soon. Like, that is what, like, women were told about sex at this time like that you're not supposed to enjoy it that you have to do it for your husband like i'm just thinking about how many times women got married and every single time they had sex it was basically rape. yeah it's gross
0: right and you're just listening to it like yeah you know what if i was in her position i think that would obviously be the better option and i think lady featherington was a real one i think she was an absolute boss in that in that scene where she was like girl girl if you could pull this off you better hurry it up like she was just basically yeah. so supportive and i was like you know what yeah that's why that's why ultimately even though she kind of comes across negatively at first and it does seem like the show was trying to set her up as the villain i actually think she's the realist and the kind of cruel to be kind type that i think sometimes fds the kind the role that sometimes fds plays and why sometimes we get, we get called mean and i'm like yeah but we're also like trying to help you win
2: right now, right? You you know, and I think just like Lady Featherington, um, it's also we, you know, FDS is about being, you know, pragmatic and understanding the situation that you're in, Um, especially as women where we are already disadvantaged in so many ways. And I think people, especially when it comes from women, when a guy is pragmatic, he's seen as, you know, logical, a boss, he's on top, he's, um, you know, he's competent. But when a woman is being pragmatic and bases her actions based on the, on the environment
0: that she's in, you know, she's manipulative or she's scheming. Right. It's never, it's never like, oh, she's a a strategy genius, right? I would look at it like she's a strategic genius, right? This is a person who has looked at the obstacles, looked at what's in front of her, and she's creating a way for herself.
1: Oh, and the other thing to remember with Featherington is like the whole reason why she's in that situation is because of her piece of shit husband's gambling. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let's not forget about that. You are so right. The fact that he like gambled all their savings away and he had to take on all these extra burdens to pay his debts is the reason why... Lady Featherington is in pretty much all the situations of that season because he even tried to block one of the suitors of one of uh, their daughters because of some debts. So it's like all all
1: her problems are caused by her terrible husband. Exactly. Like she is trying to do the best that she can given a shitty situation. The whole reason why Marina was even there was because he owed some guy a favor. Like that was his way of paying off a debt was by hosting Marina for that season or whatever. So, yeah, like, most of their problems were Lord Featherington's fault. Right. So she's really just trying to do the best with, the, with what she has. So she was my favorite character. So what was your favorite character to love or hate? I'm trying to think. I, I liked Eloise, probably just because I, like, personally relate with her the most. Um, but the, I really hated Daphne. I really hated Simon. Yeah, there's so many moments where Daphne, I'm like, you're such a fucking dumb bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like there's this one scene where she's like, are you saying just because I'm a woman, I don't have choices? Yes, bitch. Yeah, she was definitely liberal feminist, like,
0: bait at that moment. Because I remember, now I'm I'm my memory's jogging, and I remember that scene, too, and having the exact same reaction. Like, I can make choices on my own. And I'm like, you don't even know what sex is or how sex works. How are you going to go out there and face the political complications and you don't know how babies are made, sis. Like, it was kind of, to me, the perfect example of her standing up for herself in all the wrong ways. This is a time where you need to listen to people who have way more insight than you and
2: it, and it was just so almost tone deaf to her experience. like her brother literally he basically he basically scared her away from suitors and she's talking about having choices as a woman it's just like do you do you, do you not see the cognitive dissonance
1: there? yeah so like a couple of things one women at that time would have not even like thought twice about the fact that as women they don't have choices like like at the time it was just it's just obvious right like they would not have thought twice about the fact that like, their options are limited because they're women. That's just a fact. They wouldn't have ever said something like, oh, just because I'm a woman, you're saying I don't have choices? Fucking obviously, okay? So secondly, she reminds me a lot of, like, liberal feminists who are like, oh, it's my choice to do this, like, you know, the choosy choice feminism kind of thing. But like you said, Daphne doesn't even know what sex is, right? Right. So it reminds me of these, like, you know, the Teen Vogue articles about, like, how to engage in BDSM. You're teaching, like, what, 16, 17-year-olds right. how to do BDSM. Like, they're, they're fucking kids. They're young. Like, they don't know what's going on. Even when you turn 18, it's not like you suddenly have the world figured out when you turn 18, right? So the idea of, like, consent and choices are like meaningless when you're talking about someone who doesn't have the information that they need to make good choices. Right. And she, and she
0: screws up a couple of times because of that. Cause she accidentally insulted all the townspeople when she didn't pick a pig to slaughter and then they were all mad at her. Right. So I was like, that's a perfect example of where she tried to make a decision as, oh, well, I'm the Duchess now. So I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to say, none of these pigs are getting slaughtered. But then they're like, well, this is actually, uh, important for you to do because this is how we feed our families.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's very tone deaf and very, and it also shows like the privilege, right? Like yeah, like she's so privileged and like tone deaf and doesn't understand the struggles of ordinary people and how her decisions impact, like yeah, how how her decisions affect them. And like she's thinking about like, oh, I just want to be nice and fair and like you know, la di da. Like she's living in this fantasy world, right? And it just comes across as like insulting to. To people who are actually affected by it so daphne is like the secret villain of the show
0: because she's basically she's basically a liberal feminist she's the choosy choice feminist that wants to stand up for herself and look amazing and makes all the wrong decisions and does all the
1: self-sabotaging behavior and and loves to virtue signal but doesn't actually know what she's talking about yeah right yeah she's she is kind of an easy character to
0: dislike <laughs>
1: For that reason. Yeah. And the other character I hated was Anthony. Okay. The whole time I was watching it, I'm thinking, this beady-eyed motherfucker is evil. Okay? The whole time I'm watching it, I just hated every scene he was in. He's just so, like, it it almost felt incestuous, his, like, obsession with cock-blocking his sister. Um, It just... (laughs) It just felt creepy as fuck. And to go online and realize that apparently everyone's like, oh my God, Anthony's so cute and so funny. Teehee, he's just protective. What? Like other people are liking him? Like, no, every scene he was in, I hated him. Why do people like this guy? I more or less liked, I liked him only because I thought, okay, he has
0: eldest child syndrome. So I didn't get like evil from him, more so that there's insane amounts of responsibility on him. And so that pressure makes him have to make choices that he doesn't love, but also he's kind of a ruthless cut to the chase guy because he's more or less like the weight of everything falls on him, which makes him very, very uh, short sighted. And of course he, I think he's the one that also
1: tried to get Daphne to marry Burbrook, who was, like, that creepy incel dude. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing that drove me crazy, that he was trying to force, like, forced marriage his sister to marry some ugly guy. Like, he, like basically, my my reason for that was he's just so uncomfortable with the idea, like, he's so uncomfortable with the idea of his sister having sex and enjoying it that he's going to force her to marry someone that she doesn't want to have sex with and like not caring at all about what she wants. Yeah. I didn't even get that. He thought about that. I think he was just strictly
0: logical. This is a perfect logical match and not taking in the love and passion part of it. But it's, it to me, it seemed more, it seemed more of a projection of his inability because he had that complicated relationship with Sienna, right? Because he wants to be with that opera singer, but he can't because he's got to marry a woman of a certain status as an eldest son. Right. So I got that. I got the controlling thing on his sister, sort of a projection of him trying to control himself because he can't, and even the mother calls her, calls him out in a scene, right? There's a scene where uh, the mother comes to Anthony is basically calling him out for trying to scare away some of the suitors that Daphne likes and saying, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, well, these aren't suitable matches for her and she can do better. And then the mother yeah. comes back at him like, well, I you know, don't think we don't know about your little side piece, right? Over on the other side of town and that fact that, you know, you're you're right now projecting your desire to control yourself onto Daphne, right? Because you can't control yourself and you can't be with the person you love. You're making her miserable.
1: Yeah. And his whole relationship with the opera singer was like just made me so angry. Like it was so mean to her. Like, you know, may, oh, I'm gonna take care of you forever and then oh I can't see you again and just, like, hot and cold and um, breadcrumbing her, basically. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What people nowadays want to identify as, like, breadcrumbing and ghosting and stuff. And, like, just coming back when he's horny kind of thing. Um, I don't know. That whole storyline. I, I hated Anthony because of that, too. Well, I mean, the storyline
0: resolved in the best boss way possible. At the end of the series, she says, look, nobody out here is going to take care of me but me. So she finds another guy and he shows up to her house with flowers in hand and he opens the door and she got her new man there, halfway dressed. Yeah, And, you know, so I can't help but stand. And I kind of think that was the perfect resolution to that because under no circumstances was he ever going to be able to formally claim her and give her the life that she deserves. Right. So it was more or less like this was the only outcome. And I'm glad that she got the the courage to do it, rather than be this guy's side piece forever, watch him get married to someone else, and then, you know, just be, like, kind of in the shadows. She went on, and she's like, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to be with someone who can claim me and love me fully and not this half-assed nonsense.
1: Yeah, like, her, the resolution of her story was so FDS. It was like, this guy's stringing me along, isn't going to be able to commit to me, so I'm just going to, like, level up and just pick a different guy who can provide those things for me and ended up having, yeah, a positive resolution or story. So I was 100% on the side of the opera singer. Anthony was being the the shitty fuckboy in this.
0: Yeah, even though she was enjoying the moment, there was no long-term potential there. So I think her recognizing that and then advocating for herself. So like when you see these women advocate for themselves in a in a real way, you know, it's really great to see that in a show like that and feel like it has FDS themes versus... The fake advocacy that
1: Daph, <laughs> the fake clueless self advocacy of Daphne, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like she was more, um, she was like had a, a smarter version of self. I, I mean, granted, like an opera singer would have had been more exposed to the realities of the world than you know some rich, you know, eighteen-year-old girl. We hope eighteen. Did they say how old they are? Uh, the thi- I, I think that when women were presented to the court, they were u- usually between the ages of, like I think. Yeah, they were like 16, 17, 18, 19-ish. Here's the other thing to remember about Regency. I'm pretty sure this is true, where as a woman, if you had like three seasons and you weren't married, you were considered a spinster. Ooh. Um, so like the social the social season is like, yeah, the season where they're trying to get together to like find who to marry or whatever, right? So if a woman has three seasons and she hasn't been married, yeah, she's a spinster. But the men have like an infinite amount of time to, to figure it out right there's no time limit for for men like there are for women which is such fucking bullshit (laughs) because when you have that like sense of urgency for women you could have the most beautiful amazing woman ever and even low value men will feel confident to just like lean back and be like oh i got all the time in the world kind of thing
2: yeah i remember reading actually like even like jackie kennedy she met jfk when she was 22 and she was already deemed too old for marriage in quotation marks it was wild
1: and those days it was like you wanted to marry a woman when she was young because then you could mold her to be like your perfect sex object
0: well i mean jfk was still we should do an episode on jfk but he was still a massive disrespectful fuckboy to jackie oh yeah low value lvp uh low value president yeah <laughs> right lvp <laughs> yeah Aren't they all kind of low value? Have we had a high value
1: president? I mean, I guess Obama is probably the closest in recent memory. Probably Lincoln is the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Who's like probably a decent person.
0: Yeah, no, we should do that. Low value president. Okay, so what was your favorite character to love or to hate? Savannah.
2: I'd probably say Anthony as well, just because I just found his his entire attitude really, really gross. And I found it was very... um, it was almost like, I'm, I'm not going to say Jekyll and Hyde, but he almost like, knew how he wanted his sister to be treated, right? And we see this all the time with men. They'll know, they'll be overprotective of their sisters, but then they'll go out and treat other women like trash. I don't understand that. It's not, it's not somebody who has any amount of integrity, um, you know, there. And also Daphne was just generally quite um, annoying, um, in the sense that she, you, you know, she thought that she knew more than she did. Um, and even though she's, you know, clearly quite intelligent, she doesn't use that intelligence in a very, in any way that's actually beneficial to her or to her situation. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of the Bridgerton family at all, to be honest, at all. I, I did actually prefer the Featherington, like even the daughters, I found them a bit more, even though they could be a bit, I don't know, pompous and prissy, but I found them a bit more likable. There was something about them that was really likable. Um, and, and yeah, but yeah, Anthony was definite. and I'm really, because I, I actually hadn't got that far in the series, but I'm really, really glad it had that resolution that he didn't end up with the perennial side piece as was often the case in those, in those times. Cause it was super common for especially rich young men to have mistresses throughout their marriages as well. So I'm, um, I'm really glad she realized her worth and thought, nah, I'm out.
0: She dumps him. She levels up.
2: Yeah, he was disgusting, quite frankly.
0: So Duke of Hastings, he's been the breakout star of the show. He's been the sh- the actor who basically all the women are swooning over. And while I find him, I, I know mentally he's physically attractive. His character is such a fuckboy that I immediately was turned off by him and I didn't fi- I couldn't even find him sexually attractive in the show. And it was it was from the first moment he's on scene where Daphne's trying to escape Burbrook the bridge troll and she bumps into the duke and she's trying to obviously like make small talk so the bridge troll doesn't waddle himself over to her and keep mouth breathing on her anymore. So she's like, what is your name, sir? Like, very earnestly polite question. And then the Duke's like, don't you know who I am? You know, <laughs> he, he comes off the bat. With, like, this attitude. And I was just like, you could have just faked a little politeness in that moment. And the fact that he couldn't just even do it for like three seconds to me was so. I actually thought he was more low value, in my opinion, than even Anthony. I know they were gonna give him a redeeming character arc, but like, his whole attitude from the beginning was like, I don't wanna be here. I don't like these people. And at the same time, very arrogant.
1: Yeah, he's basically like an emo. He's like, he's an emo kid, right? Like, he's just sitting there like, When well, like, my dad didn't understand me and I have unresolved childhood trauma and I'm so sad and moody, blah, blah, blah. I hate guys like that, honestly. Like, there's someone who find that type of man attractive, I guess. I just find them to be like emotional vampires. They're just unbearable to be around. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it is emotionally vampiric, and I'm like, and that's why as soon as he would get on the, the screen, my vagina would dry up like the Sahara. And
1: also, all of their sex scenes, I did not enjoy any of their sex scenes, I'm sorry, they were just, like, so gratuitous. Like, I like a good sex scene in a good movie, and, like, when it's done well, I can enjoy, like, a sex scene in... A movie right but for them it was just like it was awkward because she looks so young to me too i guess they never say their age but i'm like she's really supposed to be like 15 16 yeah she's she she looks a lot younger than him she looks like a good 10 15 years younger than him so all of their sex scenes i don't know i just feel like i'm watching child porn it just is deeply upsetting
0: yeah so it was it was the combination of his emo kid attitude it was a combination of her looking really young and innocent and pretty clueless about everything and then he's obviously been around the block and it's supposed to be kind of a sexy dynamic, but instead it just came across a little weird in the sex scenes. Although I did kind of like the scenes where they had some touching emotional intimacy moments, it, but it always came across to me more like their their relationship, even when they were supposed to be hotly, passionately in love, still came across to me as a friendship more than, or like a lovesick girl really in love with this guy who can't really emotionally be there for her fully And um, it gave me more friend energy than, like, a relationship between equal partners.
1: Yeah. Like, the whole premise of their romance, quote-unquote romance, with the whole, like, oh, I'm going to pretend to be into you so that other guys get jealous and then will want you more— And all that, like, I don't, I just didn't buy that. Like, I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, it makes sense, actually, like, because FDS, we talk about mate guarding and stuff and how men are competitive. Oh, yeah, that's a good example, then. That's actually a good example of one of the the principles in the handbook, which was, hey, go to a
0: place where you're likely to encounter mate competition, because that is a real thing with men.
1: Yeah, like men will see another high value man desiring something. And then that's the other thing. Men are very like, they'll copy what they consider to be like, alpha, like, if they they see, like, an alpha or whatever, I don't know, I hate the term, like, alpha, beta or whatever, but, you know, men tend to idolize certain types of men and then will copy them, right? So, if the Duke of Hastings is the so-called alpha in the situation he's going for Daphne, the idea then is, like, oh, then all the other guys are going to copy him and try to get Daphne or whatever, but the whole premise of it just bothered me. It was stupid. (laughs) It's hard to stand their romance when...
0: The entire relationship started on deception, but an additional deception on the part of the Duke of Hastings about being able to have a child. And then Daphne signing up for that when she could have had the prince, by the way, who the prince to me was way more like emotionally engaging and way more genuine and uh, like securely attached that she could have been with. But instead, she chooses this guy who is all over the place, right? And doesn't even want kids. And she knows she wants a family. So there's so many self-sabotaging decisions in there and places where she, she should have did better.
1: I'm so tired of stories where the heroine or whatever is going after like the emotionally unavailable, inconsistent, worse option, right? Like the whole Edward versus what's the other guy's name? Jacob, right? Like, the werewolf guy versus the vampire guy. I always liked the werewolf guy more, okay? Like, he seemed like better relationship material. Um, from Twilight, yeah. Basically, yeah. I'm, I'm so done of the trope of, like, the girl goes for, like, the worst option. Like, why? Like, why would you do that? Why not just go for the one who's clearly better?
0: I guess because they need to fill up story time.
1: Yeah, if they just find, like, a perfect guy and marry him, like, there's no mellow drama, right? So when they're going for the guy who's worse, I guess there's more drama. But, okay, the whole scene with the duel, okay that that scene made me so angry because like they're about to shoot each other and she's like no no like if you know you you have to marry me or else my reputation is ruined and then he still says no it's like sis he literally said he would rather die than marry you okay like (laughs) (laughs) what is she not understanding in this situation Like, he said over and over again that he does not want to marry her. He would literally rather die. And she's just, and then and then she's like, oh, no, there's no need to continue. Like, we're to be married anyways. It's like, bitch, that's not what he fucking said, okay? He just said no. Yeah,
0: yeah, she kind of, yeah, no means no, Daphne. Exactly. <laughs> like, she needed to have accepted that and taken that L and really... Again, advocated for herself. And and well, she kind of fake advocates for herself when she thinks the Duke isn't coming around. So she goes and like flirts with the prince and then the Duke of Hastings gets all in his feelings. But I'm like, you're supposed to leave him in his feelings. You're not supposed to do it just so he'll come back and get more jealous and you'll go back to him anyways.
1: Otherwise, you kind of defeat the purpose, right? Yeah, like, the whole, like, oh, I'm gonna, like, he's being off and on, so I'm gonna, like, make him jealous by going, I'm gonna flirt with another guy and that'll make him want me or whatever. Like, okay, cool, like, he's gonna want you for, what, five minutes? But then you have to marry him and somehow be in a relationship with this person for years. And you think that that moment of jealousy is gonna save that? No, that's... (laughs) That's not the foundation for a lasting relationship, Daphne.
0: Yeah, he's, he's kind of a low-value man all around. But I do think there's one guy on the show who, at least from my initial impressions, was high value, which is Will the boxer. If you remember, he was the boxing partner of... Oh, yeah, of the Duke's boxing partner. Of the Duke, coach, right. I think, something like that, yeah. Yeah, his coach. Um, and he was also being sponsored monetarily by the Duke as a fighter. So Lord Featherington creates a bet where he bets against Will the Boxer. And then he goes to Will the Boxer and he says, if you throw this match, then I'll give you half my earnings. And Will the Boxer, you know, his ego gets in the way and his honor gets in the way. But then he looks at the practical reality of, hey, I'm getting slower, I'm aging, and I need to take care of my family. I like the whole arc where you see him kind of put his pride aside to think about the future of his children and his wife.
1: All the scenes with his wife and kids was so cute and wholesome. Like that just made me, that was like the only healthy relationship or one of the only healthy relationships in the whole show. Right. And they gave him, they gave him a
0: complicated choice, but they kind of showed how he's, he's a a guy of great integrity and a guy of great honor. Right. But he goes and does something that he knows is not the most integritous, but he does it for the most altruistic of reasons. Right. So complicated guy, who makes complicated decisions, but still kind of prioritizes the correct part of his life, right? Because I think it would have been a little bit different if it was like, I'm going to keep fighting as long as my body can do it, knowing he's going to break down and then not afford to feed his family. His ego would get in the way.
1: Yeah, like the idea that a, of a man being able to set aside their ego and do the right thing. Or do the right thing for his family. I think that's an admirable trait. I agree. That gave me like zaddy
0: energy, right? Versus the Duke where I know they were trying to make him the sexy love interest. And I was more like, what?
1: Let's find out more about Will the Boxer. (laughs) I also want to talk about the, I guess, the childhood trauma that the Duke went through. Because I think Will the Boxer is a good foil for the Duke. Like, Will the Boxer is willing to put aside his ego, do the right thing for his family, and The Duke of Hastings is the opposite of that. He is like, no, I made this promise to my father that I would never marry, never have kids, and this line would die with me. And then, yeah, he does change his mind eventually in the end. But he definitely, like, you know, definitely even calls him out for living his life for someone who's dead and not living his life for himself.
0: Right. So he had, he makes an ego play. He makes an ego play and he's self-sabotaging his own life and his potential for happiness for a dead man.
1: Yeah, And, like, why would you – I don't understand people who do this sort of, like, self-sabotaging, like, inflicting suffering on themselves and others around them just to spite someone else who hurt them. You know, yeah, your dad was shitty. Yeah, that was traumatizing. But, like, your dad's dead now. You're the new Duke. Now you can live life on your terms the way that you – want it, right? I don't understand people who, like, hurt themselves. I mean, it's not it's not rational, but it's real, right? People do that all the
0: time. It doesn't make rational sense. It's an emotional thing with people. I, I will say, I, I wish they had, like, fleshed it out a little bit more because they basically say he doesn't want to have kids because of his anger against his father, but in the books I found out that it's a little bit more complicated than that, not by much, but basically because he had a speech impediment, he was afraid of having a child that would have a speech impediment and be treated badly. So they didn't really say that in the show, which made, I think the Duke's aversion to children come across a lot more one-dimensional and selfish. But um the book, I guess, does a better job of fleshing out his motivation. So some of that I want to say it might be the show writing of not making him very sympathetic about that. But if it was like truly just, I'm super mad at my daddy. So I'm never doing this. Yeah, he needs to grow the hell up. But this might have been fan fiction, but was saying the other person was saying, well, yeah, women died during childbirth. Maybe it was also a desire not for his his uh wife to die to bring a child into the world, but that's never stated. So then you just come across this this his statement and you take it at face value and you're like, "Wow, this guy really sucks and he needs to like" Get over
1: Yeah, like, I almost wish the show made it so that, oh, like, his mother died during childbirth. He doesn't want to do that to, like, a woman that he loves, right? So I would actually find him way more sympathetic if he'd said something like that. Um, oh, and one last thing. I want to talk about how, like, the scenes where the Duke of Hastings' dad was, like, yelling at him. It was like, damn, like, calm down. Like, you're... <laughs> <laughs> like, his son stutters, like, once, and he's like, My son is an imbecile! <laughs> Bro, chill. (laughs) I have sired a failure. Like, it's just so over... I mean, I do know people who have parents like that who are legitimately so emotionally abusive that, you know, everything the child does is wrong. And, like, um, from an outside perspective, it almost seems over the top. But for someone who's experienced, like, parental abuse, it's not over the top and it's very real. So... I think it was one of those... um, conditions
2: that were very very misunderstood and because it was so I'm not sure if anyone here has seen um the king's speech for example but because it was so misunderstood people just literally thought at the time they still do now to some extent but if somebody had a stutter you were you were literally an imbecile um I mean back then and I suppose even now there's still there is isn't anywhere near enough research that's been done into the condition. They don't know what causes it, how it happens. And it's effectively untreatable, right? So I guess um, the father's outburst, whilst it seems over the top, um, in that context, when you have a condition that you don't know where it's come from, so they're not sure if it's genetic or or how to treat it. um, Again, this isn't really excusing it at all, because it is especially... um, you know, if the person who has it, it's very mentally distressing. Um, it can seem like the worst thing in the world. And especially back then as well, if we look at the context, you know, the, um, you know, I guess, you know, the Duke was going to be the heir to his father. You know, they had to be perfect, essentially, if there was any, you know, form of, you know, defect, it would be, it'll be it'll be deeply undesirable and you know something like a stutter you can't really hide as well For guys, guy is if a guy is somewhat short he can make up for it in other ways by having money as my mother always as my mother always said because <laughs> her dad was five because her dad was five foot um and my grandmother was five foot nine so she was like yeah his money made up <laughs> the extra 10 inches <laughs> <laughs> but, but they usually don't have money anyway right. but anyway that's a decide um but you know if it's the way you speak that's the only way you really communicate with the world right yeah. so i i did feel that on a personal level i felt like yeah that's um that's tough that is really tough that's not like the only time i felt sorry for him though in the whole like series after that i was like you're a dick.
0: <laughs> I liked, I mean, I, I liked how Lady Danbury, you know, I wish, I wish they had fleshed out her character a little bit more. I'm hoping they do that in later seasons, but I like them having this kind of strong maternal figure. Cause at, at first she's almost like just there to make wisecracks, but then you see her, her relationship with the Duke and you kind of soften towards her and understand like she's very kind hearted and she works with him and helps him grow into the person he is there so I kind of feel like, you know, her, her character during that whole thing, you know, it was
1: an interesting arc for her as well. I loved Lady Danbury. That, that's another character that I would say is, like, in my favorite. Like, I loved the strong female characters. Yeah, Lady Featherington, Lady Danbury, um, the Queen Charlotte. Yeah, Queen Charlotte also, even though she's kind of like... Oh, yeah, I loved Queen Charlotte. She was so petty, but I loved it. I don't know why I, lo- I loved her messiness yeah she loved like the gossip column right, so I'm like <laughs> kind of relatable but um and it's it's so interesting because the real queen charlotte uh who was married to George the third um like he was insane for the last like what ten years something like that of their their marriage I don't know exactly how long, but she was thought to be like the first black queen like quote unquote black queen because she was descended from like the portuguese like what is it more the they they had some Moorish uh, ancestry. so I just find that like a very good like historical kind of uh, reference there. Good stuff. Oh and one last thing I wanted to bring up. so I watched a, a video by the Take about Bridgerton, and I before I watched the take, the Take's take on it. I really didn't like Bridgerton, but once I saw the take talk about it, I really liked it. They basically talk about how um, Bridgerton is like a show about today like it's not meant to be something necessarily like a historically accurate period piece. It's supposed to be an allegory of today. And like Mm -hmm. the whistle down stuff is supposed to represent like social media and how your reputation can is dependent on others. And it's very important. It could like go wrong at, you know, a moment's notice and that sort of thing. And the idea that I liked the most from it was the idea that masculinity, they're living in a world where masculinity is in decline and femininity is on the rise like you see that in a lot of the male characters, they're weak, like the the gambling guy, right? Uh, Anthony is like obsessive and shitty, right? Like the men all kind of suck in this story and the women mostly are pretty awesome and are in a much stronger position. And so I think the idea of looking at it through the lens of what is it, what is it saying about nowadays, like in this, these sort of turbulent times in which men are declining as a class and women are ascending as a class, um, so I thought I thought that was an interpretation that I really enjoyed. That, that's what made me actually like Bridgerton in the end.
0: And thusly, we have reached the completion of our program. Please navigate to the World Wide Web and visit our website at thefemaledatingstrategy.com. And we humbly request that you support our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thefemaledatingstrategy. Thank you for listening, queens, and for all you burgeoning Wolfgang Amadeus Skrotsots. Please perish in a fit of rage. Ta-ta!